Unium is the subscription management hub for B2B SaaS companies. Whether you're looking to expand to new markets, experimenting with pricing models, or simply want a streamlined quote-to-cash process, Unium got your back. On top of that, Unium Insights provides the SaaS metrics you need for reporting to the board and for future company valuation. It gives you the key figures needed to drive your business forward and take strategic decisions. Unium. We help SaaS companies manage their B2B customer subscriptions. Tavarit is a German deep tech company. Tavarit is a B2B AI SaaS solution that helps metal manufacturing companies reduce energy and quality costs by prescribing optimal machine settings. Tavarit has global enterprise customers in 10 countries and saved more than 14 million for them. Tavarit's focus on sustainable manufacturing has impacted over 55 metal processing plants, reducing their carbon emissions. Our vision is to drive the world towards sustainable and zero waste manufacturing. Visit www.tvarit.com to know more about us. Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, as well as the founder of the world's first tech entrepreneurship radio called Startup.Radio. Today, I have a green startup here with me and its founder, Joel. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Joe. Great. Thanks a lot. And thanks a lot for having me. Totally my pleasure. We may add that you're in front of a bleak white wall because you didn't know in this tool, you <laughs> could not blur the background. So we had exactly. to to improvise just a tiny bit your recording location <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm very happy to have you here. And as we said, you founded a green startup, but as always, I've been digging a little bit through your CV, and we talked about a month before the recording, so I have some time for a little bit of preparation, and I found you really cleaned up your profile since. Um, there is barely anything on your LinkedIn profile, but I know from other sources that um, your love for the environment was mainly due to uh, growing up what we call in German Bodensee, Germany's largest lake, Lake Constance, that we actually share a little bit with Switzerland. Exactly, Switzerland and Austria. So it's the a tiny bit of Austria, right? T tiny bit of Austria. And depending on how you see the German federal states, we shared with Bavaria as well. So. Ah, yeah. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> Very, very inter, in, international, multicultural <laughs> region. <of. laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know you went sailing, skiing and all that stuff there. Yes, basically, I um, I always say Lake Constance is the perfect area to grow up until you're 15 and then starting at 40 again. I think that's the perfect way to describe it. Um, it was an absolute privilege growing up there because... In the summertime, you had the, the lake to play with where you can go swimming, sailing, mm -hmm. 
whatever, water skiing. And in winter, you have the Swiss and the Austrian Alps right in front of your door. So I was able to ski a lot. So it's just a very happy and privileged childhood if you if you spend most of your time outside and that uh, builds a certain passion, I think, also for, for nature. And um, this is what also was one of the core drivers for me starting the company that we started. Mm -hmm. But first, you went to university, you studied in Bremen, Karlsruhe in Switzerland, and you did semesters abroad, right? Yes, I, I studied uh, intercultural management and communication, one of those new new era uh, uh, programs, I would say. And um, the, the, the reason why I particularly chose that university, I have to, to admit, is I started surfing when I was 18 and was super hooked on it, uh, spent a couple of weeks in Costa Rica um, learning Spanish, but actually mostly learning how to surf. And um, I saw that this university in Karlsruhe had an, a partner university in Hawaii. And I said, okay, that sounds <laughs> good. Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got to spend a full semester at HPU um, in Onwau in um, Waikiki or Honolulu. And uh, I would say It was one of the happiest six months of my life. And again, uh, nature played a big role. Um, I think there's very few places on earth where people value their surroundings as much as, as on Hawaii. Sounds good. Um, actually, did you do a lot of studying while you were there? <laughs> He's smiling. Um, He's smiling. I, 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 I got the dean's list award. Um, <laughs> maybe we leave it with that. Uh, no, it's like um, it was. A, it was a good lifestyle. I have to admit. Um, university wasn't super difficult to be. To be honest, um, and the waves are mostly good as well. So you got to surf two, three, four hours every day, and then mix in university um, was. A good time. And no encounter with sharks? No. Uh, yes. Like not oh, yes. while surfing, <laughs> but uh, I, I uh, did my diver's license there as well. So I uh. saw reef sharks and uh, in Maui, when we, we went snorkeling with dolphins and on the way there, we saw a big tiger shark swimming by uh, majestic creatures. Um, I, wish, I wish they would be protected a bit more. And from all of that, you eventually got your degree and you started up in um, Aviros, a B2B SaaS um, company that actually manages all the cars a company owns, right? Yeah, exactly. There, there, the, there was one more stop on that path. So I did my bachelor's in Karlsruhe and then I started my master degree in, in Dresden at HTW Dresden in international business. And part of that program was Again, a semester abroad, uh, which was for me personally in, in Tel Aviv, in, in Israel. And um, we also had to do an, an internship. And that's the internship that I did in Switzerland uh, with a company called Avrios, uh, Avrios uh, Fleet Management Software. There was mm -hmm. at seed stage, um, a Lakestar portfolio company, Notion joined during Series A. Um, I got so much responsibility during my internship that I said, it's like, why, why go back to university? Um, your path starts here. So I actually never finished my master's degree. Um, even though I was almost done, but decided to, to stay in the startup ecosystem and said, look, if anyone will ever ask me if 
if I finish my master's degree and that's the reason for them not to hire me, then I know that this is not the right spot for, to, to work for me anyway, because I kind of licked blood in, mm -hmm. in the startup ecosystem where performance counted much more than your, um, yeah, whatever universities you attended, right? And that's actually one of the reasons why my LinkedIn profile is so, so clean because I personally don't care a lot where people went to university, who they are, um, as long as they love what they're doing and as long as they really want to drive the company forward. And, um, yeah, that's a bit my, my personal perspective on that. I see. So basically, as you said, you really enjoyed your time there um, at the fleet management company. Would have been your next steps and how did you get the idea of setting up Clean Hub? Admittedly, in, in, in the first moment, I don't know for whatever I got the association, but for whatever reason, I first, when I heard the name, I first pictured you as a competitor of Infarm. <laughs> <laughs> no, completely different, completely different topic. Um, even though I, I love what, what Infarm is doing, um, very, very necessary solution and great solution. Um, we are in a completely different topic. Um, it's basically a bit of a wordplay with clean up. Um, and a clean hub for us is just, uh, basically an independent waste management company that runs really good operations. And we want to build as many of those as possible to stop plastic from entering the oceans. But more on that later, I think the, the way how I got there is, um, the CEO of my previous or of Evrios, Andreas Brenner, he, um, came from the recycling industry. Um, mm -hmm. he grew up in a family business. Um, of wood recycling, actually. And um, I had that passion for the outdoors and for surfing and all that. So already in 2010, I got in touch with plastic pollution quite literally, because if you go surfing in Indonesia or wherever, you will at some point be confronted with plastic pollution. doesn't matter if you climb up a volcano or if you go to the beach, plastic pollution is everywhere. And there was always something that bothered me because, um, you know, we have such a beautiful planet And at the same time, we're, we're trashing it. And there, there was this misbalance that I wanted to solve. And, um, I got more and more into the topic of circular economy because, you know, we as, as humankind have to ask ourselves, how can we maintain life on this planet and actually provide resources for all the eight billion consumers that kind of want to live? on the mm -hmm. same level of privilege that, that I grew up with, right? And in my eyes, what I quickly learned is that the only way forward is basically the circular economy. Um, because that means that we can just reuse the resources that we already dug up or that, that are already around again and again and again. And I find that concept really, really fascinating. And for me, I in, in that intersection, I saw a massive opportunity to solve a global issue while building a very, very successful company. And when these two things come together, I believe that, that great things are possible. And um, so, yeah, a lot of influence from the, from the past job of how to grow a company, um, a CEO that um, knew the recycling industry well, my passion for the outdoors, my passion for solving um, plastic pollution. And all these things came together and just felt very natural to me. And um, this is... Then what made me decide to quit the company and uh, start a year-long research phase for what is now CleanHub? I see, see. And 
Can you tell us a little bit about this research phase you've been talking about, how you actually formed your idea? Yeah, absolutely. So I left the company and I said, I want to find a solution, a scalable solution for plastic pollution. I did not know at that time what that's going to look like, how to finance that. Is it going to be an NGO? Is it going to be a for-profit organization? Is it going to be a venture-backed company? I was just curious to understand why do we have plastic pollution and started attending different conferences from all different, how I call it, shades of green. Um, so I went to Cradle to Cradle um, conference, which basically it's, I think, an amazing concept where everything is designed in a way that it can be reused again. Um, basically a world without waste. Um, still a long way to go, but the concept itself is great. I also went to the exact opposite to the waste, um, to energy lobby in Brussels, um, which is all about in the end burning waste for energy, um, which currently has a place in the, in the economy. Um, but I saw the full spectrum. I spoke to a lot of entrepreneurs that are running waste management companies themselves because I wanted to understand what are the economics of the market. Mm -hmm. And um, after the first six months, sometime in June, I had this little dip in my journey where I was a bit frustrated because I couldn't really put all the threads together and thought, okay, if you make the German waste management 1% better, you didn't really move the needle on what you initially set out to do. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time when a friend from India um, sent me a WhatsApp with an image and says like, hey, uh, I know that you're looking into waste. You should come to India. The government is dumping waste on my on my land. Like they own a couple of rice fields and um, sent me this horrible picture of, a, of an open dump there was on fire, um, massive smoke going into the air. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So two days later, I was on a plane to India um, and repeated the full research there. Um, my two co-founders joined a couple of days later as well. And that kicked off um, basically the, the, the sprint towards the solution, which is now clean up. So I spent a couple of months in India, in Sri Lanka, and repeated the the entire research that I did in Germany. And that way was able to put the two systems against each other, right? And see what works well in Europe, what doesn't work uh, well in Europe, what works well in Asia and what doesn't work well there. And um, step by step, we got closer to the solution. It took us a year, um, but very happy that we had that year. All good things take time. Um, I, I know in, in, in talking about uh, recyclable materials, I just want to point out you really well defined the, um, the circular economy. Basically, it's um, without throwing trash away. So everything gets recycled one way or another. Um, very interesting idea. And I do believe we're quite away from this yet um when you talked about avoiding plastic waste you talked about upstream and downstream solutions can you tell us a little bit about this in order to like pinpoint you in this chain upstream solutions are ways how brands can actually minimize the use of plastic or make the design of the plastic packaging more circular. So make it easier to design um, or phase out plastic completely in certain applications and kind of reinvent the business model of, of what you're doing, for example, through refill models, um, for example, by kind of, um, you know, taking all the moisture out of um, 
washing detergent so that you have a pure tap so you have less packaging around it and if you put it back into water that it basically turns into um into a full bottle of of uh, washing detergent these are just mm -hmm. examples of things that you can do upstream to either put less packaging material into the system Mm -hmm. Or that you reinvent the, the business model that no packaging is, is needed or that the packaging can be reused again. Right. But then, um, you have downstream solutions and downstream solutions describe those where, um, it's about what do I do with the waste that entered the system? Right. Because mm -hmm. even if we would find the perfect way to package goods, et cetera, there would still be waste in the system to some degree that needs to be collected and then put back into, into the cycle. Right. Um, mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. And this entire collection sorting and putting that back into the economy, this is what we call downstream solutions. Um, mm -hmm. so everything that happens after the consumer consumed the product is downstream solution. Everything that happens before the consumer consumes the product are Uh, upstream solutions and we need both to fix the problem and both parties need to talk to each other to to make a circular economy happen and um you're working as a downstream solution and basically uh we will get to what you're actually doing um in detail here um basically brands are paying you to remove approximately the amount of plastic they bring into the environment with their product. And they're paying you to remove trash. And I was wondering, where does the trash actually come from? Because you said in some countries, they're good trash uh, disposal organizations. In other ones, they're totally not. What are you guys doing there? Yes. So it is estimated that um, until... Uh, 2040, 2 billion consumers will not be connected to waste management services, which means they still consume, right? They, they produce all the waste in the end of a, of a standard consumer. And the waste haulers just never show up to pick, to pick up your waste. Nobody comes. And, um, what people do is dump the waste on the street, put it on fire under the open sky. So, Because you still produce the waste and it needs to go somewhere. You can't just put it in your living room and have it sit there until you die. So they want to get rid of the waste um, and they either dump it into a river yeah, or, as I mentioned, burn it or um, bury it somewhere, but it's not properly handled. And that is obviously a massive problem. And this is where ocean plastic for its majority also comes from, right? Because waste is not collected in many parts of the world. And... Um, That's something that's very easy to solve because we already know how, how to do that. We, we know from Europe how waste has to be treated. We know that from the US. Um, so the first step to make sure that to prevent plastic pollution is to pick it up from a household in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, where, where are those households? Yes, we, we currently operate in the coastal areas of India and mm -hmm. um, Indonesia. We just started a project in, in, Cam in Cambodia. We did uh, pilots in Brazil. We did pilots in Tanzania. We did pilots in Angola. Um, the system that we've built works everywhere because what it does, it gives local waste organizations the chance to show to the world that they are doing good work. And this is 
what allows them to receive investment from consumer brands that says like, look, I understand that ocean plastic pollution is a problem. I can't reduce my plastic use any further. So at least what I can do is pay organizations to prevent plastic from entering the ocean, right? It's a bit what we know from the carbon world with the carbon credits um, applied to, to the plastic space. I was wondering, can you tell us for everybody who has not seen yet the horrible pictures, what the trash does in the ocean? One of the biggest problem is that um, marine wildlife consumes it, right? Um, there's multiple headlines of whales basically dying from that because you digest the plastic they they always feel as if they don't need to eat anymore and basically they starve alive um and that's that's one of the the harms that plastic does it is not yet fully comprehended um what plastic really does in ecosystems but there's first studies that that show that for example it also slows down the carbon pump right the oceans are storing a lot of the 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 co2 that we that we pump into the air and um it disturbs the system that basically absorbs carbon within the ocean. And the other problems are that um, the plastic, the microplastic, for example, itself is not necessarily toxic, but it attracts toxins from, from the atmosphere that is around it, right? And then fish or plankton digests that plastic that is contaminated with toxins mm -hmm. and that goes up the food chain. And suddenly um, we have that food on our own plate and by now we consume microplastics ourselves there's studies that show that we basically consume up to five grams of microplastic every single week as humans right so it's also about our own health so if you don't keep the oceans healthy if we don't make sure that waste stays in a closed system we are hurting ourselves and this is what needs to be understood it's not just a philanthropic act of saying that oh we want clean beaches or whatever but it's about our own health as well. Um, everything is connected and this is in the end the harm that is done, right? And currently we're pumping anywhere between 11 to 14 million tons of plastic waste into the ocean. And like one kilogram of, of plastic waste fills roughly a 60 liter waste bag, which is a pretty big waste bag for a home. Um, so yeah, that's... There's a lot of work to do, let's say it that way. Uh, for the Americans, 60 liters, that are 2,028 fluid ounces. I know we have a big audience in the US. <laughs> um, true. Sorry. No, no problem at all. Um, how, okay, so basically you pitch brands that are environmentally cautious and say, okay, you're putting that much plastic trash in the world, we remove it. And how does the collection then work because you, so far we understand there are some areas where you work with local trash collecting companies mm -hmm. they yep. go out collect the trash and then sort out the plastic and then weigh the plastic for you is it something mm -hmm. like this and how do you control yes. it yes um if we step back two three questions I mentioned that 2 billion consumers are not connected to waste management services and that the mm -hmm. best way to contain plastic pollution is to connect those to, to waste management services. And this is essentially what we do because what we need to understand is that waste collection itself is not a profitable business case just from the material that you collect because a lot of that material in there cannot be recycled. That means you can't sell it to anyone, right? You're basically collecting non-valuable stuff and 
um, we need to make sure that all waste material has enough value that a for-profit organization sees value in collecting it and selling it somewhere, right? So if you look at the plastic types that don't have value, this is mostly so-called multi-layer packaging where you have aluminum plastic compounds like the chips bags of the world. Um, a lot of flexible packaging in general has no value because it's super difficult to recycle. And that means that this is trash. And if you want to dispose of that, if you want to bring it to a landfill, if you want to bring it into co-processing, if you want to bring it into any sort of disposal endpoint, um, that disposal endpoint is going to charge you as a waste manager a so-called gate fee or tipping fee, which allows you to dispose of the material there. So what the waste manager does is he says, I don't want that material in the first place because it's only going to create cost for me. Mm -hmm. And what we as cleanup do is we go in and say, dear waste management company, I'm going to buy the non-recyclable waste from you. I'm going to give you money for handling that material. Mm -hmm. And this is what we pay with the plastic credit, right? And suddenly what happens on a systemic level is that the waste collector, the waste collection company says, interesting, every single piece of plastic that I can collect has a value. I can sell that somewhere. The recyclable, the, the water bottle, for example, I can sell to a recycling company. The non-recyclable plastic, I can sell to CleanHub. So what's the cheapest way for me? What's the most effective way for me to get my hands on post-consumer plastic? And that is going to the household directly and tell them, please sort out all dry waste that you have, paper, cardboard, plastics, um, e-waste, textiles, whatever you have, put that in a bag and I'm going to come and pick that up once a week. Because I know every single thing in that bag I can monetize. So I can build a business around that, right? And without CleanHub, if they would go there and tell them to do exactly that thing, they would have 50% material where they will not get money for. So the economics don't work out of, of waste collection. So the, the first thing that we as CleanHub do is we make the economics of waste collection work mm -hmm. on, a, on a very financial economic level, basically. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. And I was wondering when you talked about this, what do you do then with the non-recyclable stuff? What I always have in mind are the uh, to-go coffee cups that are layered material. Um, please don't tell me you dump it in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, there's a, there's a tool called the waste management hierarchy, and everybody knows the first three steps. Reduce, reuse, recycle. But there's two more layers, and that is recover and landfill or dump, mm -hmm. basically. And that describes the hierarchy of what you are supposed to do with the waste. And recovery means energy recovery, because even though that material might not have monetary value to it, it still has so-called calorific value to it, right? You can still turn that into energy. And um, in Germany, for example, we have a hundred waste to energy plants where that material is burned for heat and energy. Um, which is obviously not great because it is still a fossil-based material that you put in there, right? You're producing carbon. Mm -hmm. But if you put that material onto a landfill, you're not winning back the energy that is contained in there. And some other plant is going to use coal or whatever to, to produce the energy. So you're digging up stuff from, from the ground to produce energy, right? So it is better to use that waste as an energy source in the first place anyway. This is why we have that waste management hierarchy. I'm not saying that this should stay that way forever, but this is currently the best, worst solution, basically. Now, if you look at Asia, there are very, very few waste to energy plants, fortunately, 
um, because again, waste incineration is not great. The other industry that has an interest in waste as a fuel are those that need very, very high temperatures. That can be the steel industry or the cement industry. Cement produces, or it, they basically melt stone and that requires 1,400 degrees. And they are very much dependent on coal as a fossil-based material to reach these temperatures. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just checking, uh, 1400 degrees Celsius at 2552 degrees Fahrenheit. Thank you. Welcome. Um, and everything that you basically throw in such a heat is completely destroyed. So yes, you still produce carbon, but you don't have toxins, dioxins really coming out of that combustion. So it's a very safe, um, combustion in the end. And you're, you're replacing coal as a primary fossil fuel. And plastics, in many cases, has a higher heating value than coal. So you're even bringing down the, the carbon footprint of the cement plant. So this is where the waste currently goes. I think an important side note here is um, that whenever technology is progressing, for example, if chemical recycling starts working, that we are in a position to shift that waste stream somewhere else. The mm -hmm. one promise that we are making is we do not dump plastic into the environment. We do not dump it on landfills because a lot of the landfills in Southeast Asia are just put on fire at night to reduce the waste volume. And then you have open burning landfills, which is probably one of the worst things that can do. Okay. So we win back the energy basically. And again, important side note, the cement industry is not paying us for, for that material. So for us, that is a, zero-sum game, basically, um, and that describes the systemic issue of waste management. Because if you take cleanup out of that equation, mm -hmm. you pay all the OPEX to collect waste, to transport it, um, to sort it, and then you're not getting anything at the end of the process. So nobody's doing it. And if you look at the plastic that is in the ocean, 80% is that non-recyclable waste. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. It's not the plastic bottle. Now that we understand what you guys are doing, where do you see yourself in, like, not yourself personally, but you as cleanup, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, in five years, we basically want to be in um, the majority of coastal towns along the the um the coastlands of the, the major polluting countries. And we want to have established waste systems there where waste is really collected from a household level, where as much as possible is sorted out for recycling, can be sold through, through the cleanup network and where non-recyclable waste does not end up in the ocean. Um, so essentially we, we want to reduce um, the amount of plastic that goes into the ocean by 50% until 2030 that's the big our big hairy audacious goal basically that's quite a big one but so far you could already convince a few investors i have seen you raised uh four million us dollars from nine investors of course including lakestar 468 capital um a global director of the entrepreneurs organization former head of strategy of microsoft and friedrich neumann from makers um also Berlin-based um, accelerator incubator. So um, you're also making money on this, right? Yes. 
Exactly. Um, because what we do is we are the trusted entity in the middle that is basically tracking all the ways that is making sure that whatever kind of claims you make as a brand, we can also make sure that this really happens, right? Because um, any kind of environmental claims are coming under more and more scrutiny and we track and trace the entire waste operations that we can deliver data as evidence um, that that your green claim holds true basically this is this is our task and um that's where we charge money for mm -hmm. um i was wondering are you open to talk to new investors absolutely um because i think um the the beauty of venture capital is that you need to go fast that's the nature of it and i think that aligns with our mission very much because we want to go fast on the waste management side as well. We want to collect as much plastic as possible, build up as much collection systems as possible. And that also means getting access to resources, right? Getting access to basically commodities, getting access to recyclable plastic, getting access mm -hmm. to paper, cardboard, all the things that can enter the economy again. And this is, I think, what the big massive opportunity is that it's the right time to build an entirely asset light waste management company or like resource resourcing company. Now it's the question, are you looking for people to join you on that way? Are you currently hiring? Um, yes, we are always looking for, for great engineers and, uh, Everybody does. that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So more than happy to, to, um, receive applications. Great. Thank you very much. Everybody who'd like to learn more, go down here in the show notes. There is a link to our Medium blog where we connect all the show notes, everything we have linked there, including, of course, your personal LinkedIn profile, as well as your company's website, their Twitter account, and of course, where you can learn more about the open positions at CleanHub. Joel, thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you, Joe, and uh, thanks for yeah, giving the topic the, the attention that it needs. Of course, always a pleasure. Yeah, great. So have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring. When you're an entrepreneur with a great idea, it can be daunting to find funding. Startup Raven takes the process out of your hands. By helping entrepreneurs connect and learn about potential investors all in one place. Without any long-filled forms or a thousand questions. Sign up for early access at StartupRaven.com.